Welcome to the Optimistic Curmudgeon, where the best ideas win. I'm your host, Josh Herring. Today, my guest is Dr. Matt Slaybach. Uh, Dr. Slaybach is an assistant professor in the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership at Arizona State University. Uh, he is also the author of The Road to Nowhere, The Idea of Progress and Its Critics. Matt, welcome to the Optimistic Curmudgeon. Thanks so much, Josh. I'm looking forward to seeing where this conversation goes. I, I am too. I, this is really fun. I know we recorded about a year ago, and I'm I'm still really sorry about losing that recording. I just Zoom <laughs> Zoom was not with me after all. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to uh, revisiting some of that and also kind of updating that for for where we are now. Uh, before we get into uh, thoughts about progress and and the world today and, and the past. Um, I wonder if you could share with us just a bit of your academic journey. Uh, it, it sounds like you've had uh, some good fortune in uh, in finding a position, but I know you were you were on the job hunt for an awfully long time. Uh, I've I've seen several Facebook posts and uh, really good Twitter posts about uh, the the awfulness that is the academic job market. So what what does the job market look like in in the academy today? Uh, the job market, as such, I would I would say isn't one. Um, there. Uh, trends point to more and more academic jobs being of the contingent or temporary sort or even a, a part-time sort um, with faculty or instructors uh, hired to teach a class here and there but not uh, hired to um, hired on a long-term full-time contract there. So tenure track positions are definitely um, becoming rarer and rarer. Uh, and I think at, at a lot of universities, uh, it's becoming the, the norm where the bulk of the, the teaching faculty um, are, again, contingent or, or part-time, which is going to mean, you know, they're, they're probably not benefits eligible positions there. They're precarious. Um, and that's true not only uh, in political science, which is uh, the, the um, area that, that my PhD is in. I, I think that's true across the, the humanities and social sciences and, and even beyond. Um, so yeah, um, it, it took, took a while to, for me to secure this tenure track position. Graduated in 2016 um, with my PhD and, and I'm just finally, but happily, um, starting a tenure track uh, role in, in the fall at, at Arizona State. And I'm very excited about that. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a good fit for me. Um, so it's it's not just a matter of having secured a tenure track position. I, I've truly uh, been been offered a, a position that, that I'm, I'm really going to, to like and, and um, look forward to, to officially starting in. So, yeah, but, but that, that question about the, the market there, um, you know, I, I tweeted or, or um, posted, you know, some, you know, you know, snarky uh, updates <laughs> about about the lack of job postings or or the the nature of of job postings where you know you're expected to maybe teach you know, 100 classes a, a year for you know uh, ten dollars an hour uh, you know at at midnight or you know something like that across you know spanning chemistry to uh, you know ancient Greek literature or something like that, the, the, you know, the requirements or expectations are, are just becoming more and more um, silly and, and hard to fill, I, I think. So um, it, it is disappointing. It is lamentable. If your follow-up question is what, what is to be done, I, d I don't know what is to be done, so don't ask it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was actually going to ask a, a potentially controversial question about whether you see uh, is is the difficulty there tied to the budget, or does it, or is it tied to the rise of the uh, diversity, equity, inclusion industry, or is there some further kind of cause, uh, or is this just just part of what it takes to get in? And there have always been difficulties in getting into uh, high level teaching. Is this just is this just the new difficulty of getting the guild card? I mean, it used to be the dissertation, but now it's the dissertation is no longer that difficult to get through, but actually getting a position may be the, the newer uh, level, or I, I don't know. I'm just, what, what would you point to as a, as a, maybe a couple of causes there? Uh, 
I don't think it's that the dissertation has become easier to to um, to earn. Uh, I think if you look at trends in a lot of fields, history, for instance, is, is one of them. Uh, it takes longer to earn a PhD in history than it did in, in the past. So I don't think it's become easier uh, to, to get that, that degree there. Uh, I do think expectations have risen. Uh, so the PhD alone is not going to get you a position. Now there's maybe expectations of having published something already, um, maybe not even just one thing, maybe multiple things and, and having taught classes um, in graduate school before uh, even, even being considered for a tenure track position. I think the market has become um, more competitive as more people are pursuing their, their PhDs. Uh, and I do think what you mentioned about the, the rise of uh, DEI, I, I think it's not just DEI, um, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, it's the growth of administration in universities generally. And so DEI is part of that, but there are also, you know, um, administrators, uh, not you know associated with DEI initiatives who are doing other things on on campus, um, and I, I think they have taken a lot of the, the resources that uh, in the past would have been directed towards faculty. Um, those who bemoan the, the rising costs of education, though, should be aware that money is not going to faculty. Um, so don't don't blame your faculty for for um, living a lavish uh, life, because in in most cases that that is definitely not not the case. Well, I think in, in that sense, our, our we're we're obviously in two different educational worlds. I'm in the K-12 space, and that's that's just a. Some days it feels like it's a very different planet, uh, but in that sense, I think it's the, the the same is true. It's a lot easier to find funding to build a new building than it is to necessarily do a greater than normal cost of living raise for faculty across the board. Well, let, let's let's get to maybe a, a happier topic, and uh, let, let's talk about progress. Um, I, I'm really curious, how did you land on progress as an area that you wanted to study and you really wanted to explore? Uh, so, I, uh, kind of, it, it happened to be an, an of-the-moment uh, de decision there. I actually entered graduate school uh, thinking I was going to do comparative politics, uh, so studying domestic government and politics of countries besides the, the U.S. and seeing how, um, you know, elections and judicial structures and um, parliamentary systems, you know, function in, in places outside uh, of, of what's most familiar to me. And I, I thought I was going to be studying um, comparative politics and writing a dissertation on comparative politics with, with a focus on Central and Eastern European nationalism. That's what I thought I was going to be writing about. Um, but I had as part of my background, um, my my bachelor's was in political science and also philosophy, and I had those philosophical interests. And one of the philosophers who stood out to me as an undergraduate um, was Arthur Schopenhauer, who I continued reading mostly kind of for for leisure or for pleasure, um, you know, even after I wasn't pursuing any sort of degree in in philosophy there, um, and then just around the time it came to dissertation writing, uh, there was kind of a, a noticeable um, shift in the collective mood in the United States, where in 2008, you know, Barack Obama 
came to the presidency with near universal acclaim and he had of course run on a message of of hope and change um you know both of those terms suggesting you know a great future ahead suggesting optimism uh in his second term though his re-election was was much closer uh and there he had to defend his record and and in his speeches he was saying things like anyone who thinks america is in decline doesn't know what they're talking about and the reason he had to say things like that in his speeches that that anyone who thinks america isn't in or that america is in decline doesn't know what they're they're thinking about is because a larger number of people um, came to view the American position as a more um, precarious one and, and started um, seeing um, the prospects for the United States uh, in increasingly more troublesome or, or worrying, worrying um, sense there. And so the, the collective mood of, of the United States became um, more, more pessimistic, certainly, than, than when Obama came to office and i wanted to to consider all right if people are becoming more and more pessimistic what is that going to mean for politics here Mm -hmm. and one of the the steps that i that i took there was to to see all right who in political theory has offered a vision of politics that is going to have something to to say about um, what a pessimistic disposition or attitude or um, view of of the future is going to mean with respect to politics. And and what I saw um, was that in modern political theory, especially, there aren't a, a, a a large number of thinkers whose political theories are built around a criticism of mm-hmm. the idea of progress. Instead, most of the familiar names to us in political theory uh, have their philosophies buttressed on some optimistic um, vision of the future there. So whether we're talking Kant or Hegel or, or Marx or Mill uh, or the founders, people of very, very different stripes their philosophies of politics tend to be built around um, some idea of progress there. And so, so again, my question was, well, what if, what if we dismiss that expectation of progress there? Um, what is that going to mean? And so, um, again, it was kind of of the moment considering the, the collective mood of the, the country. And then I wanted to see uh, what we could do there, how we could make sense of that. And I, I had at Indiana University where I got my PhD, a very uh, supportive advisor in Aurelian Kryutsu who was excited about this this project and, and was happy to let me go go my own way and see what I w- would find there. And that's a big deal to, ha- to have an advisor who's going to go to bat for you and um, support your your vision and, and give you the, the freedom to pursue your interests while still being able to um, jump in and, and offer suggestions there. So I, having found someone, political theorists who I knew um, you know, would challenge me to to do better work. That's that's part of my drifting away from comparative politics and and back into something more philosophical. Um, there's is having the right person at, at IU and then having um, this what I thought was a, a timely moment to to consider a, a different topic um, that I thought was underexplored. So that was that was a rambling answer to to your question there, but uh, that's how I got there. That's a, I think it's a helpful answer. It kind of helps us see. I think it's always interesting, like why people do the the projects that they do. And I think that's a that's a great way to think about it. The the support was there, the idea was there, and the timing was there. Change any of those variables, and and obviously your book would probably hopefully still exist, but it'd be very different. Um, run us through just a a brief version of kind of what you ended up finding as far as how does our political vision change. If, if we aren't actively thinking about progress as kind of the goal? Because it seems to me that 
certainly today, uh, now we're we're talking now, obviously in 2022, um, the idea of progress is just seemingly ubiquitous. I mean, I, I want to ask you in a moment about your thoughts about the uh, the recent Dobbs versus Jackson case and in this context, but uh, there, there's lots of assumptions that we should be progressing and assumptions that progress has a direction and that there's clearly a next step. Uh, but what 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 happens if we don't have that notion of progress baked into our, our political vision? Uh, so before answering the question of what happens if we don't have the idea of progress baked into our political vision, I'd, I'd jump back and say, what happens when we do have the idea of progress as part of our political vision. And that's that's typically how I start the chapters in, in my book there is by looking mm -hmm. at those people or those thinkers or, or writers who do have some vision of progress and what that means for, for their political theories or, or expectations there. And then I turn to, to critics of, of mm -hmm. those other people, those um, individuals who, who do have some, some vision of progress there. And what we see uh, in the first substantive chapter in, in my book, the, the argument I make is that in German political thought, for instance, you have individuals like Johann Herder or Immanuel Kant, who do have some idea of progress in in their their works, um, some expectation of improvement, betterment, uh, and there we mean, you know, not just technological betterment, not just scientific betterment, but improvement in the moral realm, the political realm, in realms um, maybe extending even into something that, that's typically seen as subjective, um, like mm -hmm. like art there. So there there is this belief in improvement and improvements that will build upon each other. But there's a shift away after Herder and Kant to figures like Johann Fichte and Georg Hegel. And what we see in that shift is an expectation still of progress and betterment and improvement in the future, but an answer, a clear answer of who is to bring that about. For someone like Kant, it's a matter of, you know, opening up debate and discussion and having freer thought. And that leads to, you know, some experimentation there. And through experimentation and debate of ideas, um, we can, you know, try new things, uh, you know, tinker with this, tinker with that, uh, explore alternatives to the way that we've done things. Um, and that will lead to improvement. But for people like Fichte and, and Hegel there, the state takes on a more prominent role in their visions of, of progress there. Uh, so debate discussion alone, experimentation alone isn't going to lead to further improvement and advances. There's a role for this entity, this political entity called the state to bring about that, that progress that otherwise won't come there. And so that's one of the things I, I observe in, in German, in the trajectory of German thought, is that the idea of progress um, you know, runs on over the course of the, the late 18th century into the 19th century there. But what it means is that um, you know, the, the theorists there um, want to have some sort of agent that is bringing about that progress. And who do they turn to? Um, the, the state and, and you know, um, though, those um, who, who would run the state. Um, and so when I bring in a, a critic of the idea of progress there in, in the German context, um, that critic and Arthur Schopenhauer um, is, is the main critic I, I point to in this chapter on, on German thought is someone critiquing the expectation 
of progress, um, but at the same time critiquing the idea that the state is the solver of all problems there, that we should um, expect um, from politics a solution to all our problems and solutions that are permanent and lasting. Schopenhauer throws those um, beliefs right out the, the window there and says that that's not something you should expect from the state and it's dangerous to put that much um, trust in the, in the state to, to bring about positive change there. He points instead uh, uh, not to the, the benefits that the state could bring, but the potential pitfalls of granting too much power and authority to um, uh, um, some political entity to, to bring about that, that progress. Um, and so that's one of the uh, critiques of, of progress that, that we see is in Schopenhauer, but also in, in others um, that, uh, that I explore in different um, historical and, and cultural contexts. I, I look to um, Russia and the United States as well. A lot of the critics of, of progress are at the same time uh, critics of politics. They are tending to minimize political solutions to what they see as perennial problems, problems that are just going to pop up um, time and again and can't be solved. So a lot of these thinkers um, are ones who are going to propose instead individual solutions to um, you know the, the trials and traumas that any one of us are faced with in, in life. Um, that, that's a pretty constant theme or, or refrain um, when looking through through my book there is you get a lot of thinkers who are um, worried about um, you know potential pitfalls of something that seems happy, positive, good progress. You know what's what's the what's the problem there? That sounds who doesn't want progress? And and the the people that I'm looking at, they're not critiquing progress. They would love if things were improving all the time, getting better all the time. What they're critiquing is the idea of progress, and I'm careful to, to phrase things that way. None of these people are critical of advancement or improvement. Who's going to criticize things getting better? What they're critical of is the notion that things will always be better, that we have a, a right to expect that things will always get better. They say no and, and ask, you know, okay. Um, if things aren't always going to be better, what does that mean? Um, what should we do then? So they're, they're critics of, of, you know, grand political solutions, which they think are, are going to fail because we're simply going to be revisited um, by pro certain problems time and again. Or if we solve a problem in one area, that just means some other areas is going to see uh, challenges arise. So I'll hold off oh. there. Uh, it's, that's uh, um, that's first really interesting, and secondly, really, I, there, there's I have so many areas I'm making notes about where to where I wanted to kind of follow up on that. But I think, tell me if if I'm if I'm understanding this correctly. It seems that. A lot of the people you're looking at who are advocating progress have what maybe could be characterized as sort of a Hegelian view of progress, as sort of a stair-stepping movement upwards um, through various mechanisms, but primarily driven by the state. Versus the, but there, there's a, there's, there's definitely a, a guaranteed upward trend in various registers. And your critics aren't really trying to say there is no upward trajectory or there's no movement. But the kind of progress they're looking at is sort of a constant improvement while recognizing that there are going to be a multitude of problems that never end. And we're always looking to kind of make the best we can in each situation, but we're not looking for a grand solution that makes every, that fixes everything. Is that is that a fair characterization? I would say large, largely fair on the, the presentation of the proponents of some idea of, of progress. So maybe not all agreeing with with Hegel in the, you know, sure. um, you know, um, 
thesis, antithesis, synthesis, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's unique to, to Hegel by, by and large there. Um, so maybe not that, that aspect of, of history, but yeah, um, the, the believers in, in progress tend to, to see that, that stepping stone, that, that's, stairway um vision where you know there there might be a blip you know it it might not be a perfectly you know straight flat smooth line um you know slanting upwards but but they see that that um noticeable trend in history and and expect that you know further trend in in the future the critics of of the progress of the idea of progress I, i would say um fall into to various camps that i try to um demonstrate in in the book so you have on on the one hand some critics of the idea of progress who just simply seen like no pattern in in history um there might be temporary advances but those temporary advances are you know, washed away by a moment of um, decline or, or decay, only to be followed up again by maybe some temporary advance, then maybe stagnation, then maybe more advance, then maybe more advance, maybe decay, maybe decline. But on balance, just, you know, no rhyme or reason in in history there, no, no identifiable trend that that's um you know one vision of of history that's um prominently explored uh in in my book another um camp says there's no universal progress there's no permanent progress in history but there are patterns in history there are for cultures or civilizations periods of growth um flourishing and then decay and decline that follow patterns equivalent to like the changing of the seasons where we see, you know, spring and, and summer and, and flourishing uh, uh, and followed by fall um, and, and winter and, and kind of death and, and, and decay there. There are some critics of, of the idea of progress who see history following those lines there where there's steady growth for a while and then just as steady um, decay or decline so cyclical theorists there um, who who think civilizations are going to have their their periods of you know flourishing philosophy and art and literature and um, culture and and things like like that and you know times of, of great ideas and um you know religion um being being important followed by times of just you know bleakness that are that are inevitable and then besides these these thinkers or critics of the idea of progress who see no pattern in history or who do see patterns that ultimately you know don't add up to permanent um progress they see cycles of of growth and decay um there there are some um critics of the idea of progress who just take their starting point and see from that starting point just straight downwards there um not no progress just straightforward inevitable um one direction uh decline there so there's a mix of of people um kind of critiquing um historical trajectories there and and arguing against um progress-minded uh thinkers there interesting i think it's i mean there's there's so much wrapped up in that idea of progress i can hear elements of kind of plato's transcendental the good that there's a there's something that we're aiming at that uh, but i'm also reminded of i recently interviewed uh, a political scientist uh named scott yenner at boise state uh, about his book the recovery of family life and he was talking about uh, the importance of Aristotle's idea of a political regime for, for his thought. And it seems to me that um, uh, progress is seems from what you're describing, I can put those two things together, that progress is really tied to a certain conception of a political regime. And that then the critique of progress is really a critique of that political regime that often has its own different regime, either they're trying to put in place or different conception 
of a good that the the, the critic is is aiming for. Yeah, I, I'd say I, I, I agree um, to, in large extent with with that there. So again, to turn to to the German case there, um, there is I see a, a steady trend in um, German thought there that sees an increasing role for the state as a solver of um, society's problems. And at the same time, there is the growth of nationalist mm. thought. So statism is, is one thing, nationalism um, a, a different thing. But I think those two grow parallelly in um, German thought there and the critics of the idea of, of progress in, in the German case, whether that's Schopenhauer or um, Nietzsche or the you know, culturally German but but um, Swiss uh, writer Jacob Burkhart um, critique that statist nationalist vision mm-hmm. of, of, of progress there in um, the Russian case um you know by the 20th century we're going to see um a a different vision of what progress in entails there and and it's still going to be in the end um a totalitarian um government that is uh responsible for bringing about progress but it it's not nationalism as the um, hmm. you know, hallmark of Soviet um, thought there, you know, that progress is, is tied um, to other concepts like, like equality for, for instance there, and who is going to bring about that, that equality, um, you know, the, the, the party there. Um, and so, yeah, then the, the critics of, of the idea of, of progress there are going to, to worry about giving all the, this power or authority to, to the um, party uh, leadership um, and, and can see plainly that, you know, giving all that, that power is going to be detrimental to um, people there. As far as proposing alternate regimes um yes yes and no uh critics of the idea of progress uh a lot of them i I think don't have an ideal in mind Mm -hmm. in terms of what the best political regime is Uh, i think a lot of them instead see that there's kind of not a one size fits all uh, when it comes to um, political structures or, or institutions or, or frameworks there. What works in one place or time might not work in another place or time. Uh, and so the, the critics uh, of philosophies that do posit some perfect political arrangement aren't going to be people who propose their their own um, you know ideal political ar- arrangement. They're they're critiquing the very very notion that there is such a thing. So the critics of the idea of progress are, are going to recognize certain institutions or structures or, or frameworks as better or worse. It's not that these people have no preferences whatsoever, and they can recognize that you know maybe a politician or party or movement does bring about something good for a while and they can recognize that alternatives have been responsible for you know bringing about bad changes Mm -hmm. likewise so these critics of the idea of progress are still evaluating still um you know reflecting on on what works and what what doesn't there they're they're not totally divorced from from politics there but they want to encourage us to to step back uh, and look to see what we individually can can do to to solve our own um, problems here um, because inevitably if we put all our hope uh, in political parties or, or leaders or, or activists we're going we're going to be disappointed um, 
<laughs> that is certainly a true statement. I, mean, I think that that's a there, there's nothing but disappointment if uh, uh, there's, there's no political party that can serve the place of God. That just that just doesn't work. Right. Um, let me ask. Let's bring this uh, more into uh, current events for a moment. I want to backtrack to 20th century, uh, but. Um, uh, as we'll as we'll drop I'll drop this episode probably sometime in August or September, but we're recording the week after the Supreme Court released the Dobbs versus Jackson case, uh, and that's of course sparked a ton of discussion and debate all across the internet and and in print, uh, and I assume in families across the country that are uh, are, are quite it's become quite contentious uh, since that overturned the Roe v. Wade decision. Now it seems to me that there's at least two that this this ties into progress or at least different conceptions of progress. Um, I'm in the camp that sees Dobbs versus Jackson as a substantial course correction towards a more constitutionally oriented Supreme Court and constitutionally governed um, federal government. But there seem to be an awful lot of people who have a view that this is a this is a rejection of progress that this is stepping back uh, towards. People have said I've I've seen uh, the claim that. This is restoring the Middle Ages for for women so that they can't have uh, easy access to to abortion that's guaranteed by the federal government and so on. Uh, so, with that in mind, I, I don't want to ask you for your views on on the abortion debate. I, that, that's not my question. Uh, but I do want to ask, what do you make of our current moment where we seem to have such divergent views on the nature of progress and where that fits into our political life as a country? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I. I, I definitely see where, where you're going um, with, with this question. And, and I agree that, you know, uh, a, a lot of the response that we've seen, especially on, you know, social media and social media, of course, isn't real, but um, in, in, in the Twitter sphere, um, you know, I, I've seen those same memes or, or remarks, um, you know, um, one of the, the, the ones that I've seen is, you know, be sure to turn your clock back um, 50 years before you go to bed, thing, things like that. Um, and uh, that that sort of rhetoric there. I th think what's what's going on earlier, you said the the idea of progress seems ubiquitous in in our time here. I, I tend to sh share that that view there the that this idea is still kind of around um i think we see that in that in the rhetoric or the phrasing of the so-called right side of history with people mm -hmm. believing that history does have some sort of movement from worse to, to better that things are uh you know expected to to um, improve constantly over time, that there, there's a direction in history. At the same time, though, we've got this, you know, right side of history rhetoric and, 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 and that. If you look to current polls, something like three quarters of the country thinks we're on the wrong track in the U.S. Um, and, you know, that three quarters number, is particularly high, but it's been for a couple decades now mm -hmm. that a majority of the population has said the U.S. is on the wrong track as opposed to the right track. And what I would like to see more from, from polling, and I, I haven't seen this anywhere, is to question people not as to whether they believe we're moving in a good direction currently, which clearly, you know, a large majority of people think we're not currently progressing. I would like to see some pollster out there, and if any social scientist li listening in wants to to take take this up, anyone with polling expertise wants to take this up, do people still share in some expectation that the future will be better that next generation will be better than this generation and the one following that will um, be better and further improvement is something that we can 
expect in history despite this current moment where we're not pro progressing is this you know dismissal of the idea that we're currently going in the right direction and abandonment of the idea of progress entirely i'm inclined to think no it's not that people still have that idea of progress that that's still part of of their leaning there in spite of thinking um, that we're not currently progressing yeah. I, I think it's possible to hold the attitude or the belief that things are going poorly right now but that doesn't mean they're they're going to go that way for forever it will get better over time. Um, what does it mean that, that we have very different visions of, of progress in the United States? What does that mean? Um, I, I think that's one of the, the issues with uh, the idea of, of progress there is that it, it's kind of a murky term mm -hmm. there. Improvement, fine. Um, but how you define improvement is mm -hmm. going to maybe differ from how I define improvement. Um, you, you know, mentioned your own position on um, Supreme Court and and this particular case here, and you're going to see this as a, a move in the, the right direction. And you've acknowledged that a lot of people don't see it as such. Um, so what does that do? What does that, that mean then? Um, again, uh, I, I would point to, to the figures uh, in, in the book who are critical of, of the idea of, of progress and tying progress to, to politics there. I think the, the critics in, in my book would be uh, aghast at the politiz politicization of everything that we currently see right now. Um, we see that in companies taking stances on political and social issues um, here. You know, they they have to change their their profile pictures to you know whatever the um, cause of, of the day is, uh, and and they you know reach out with marketing campaigns here and you know you've got a, a cookie company taking a, a stance on this issue and you've got you know Just uh, a, a lawnmower I mean. company <laughs> weighing in on whatever else and I, I you know i think any of the these critics of progress that, that i'm looking at would say that's not that's you know they'd maybe expect that that, that this is where we would be and they would again encourage go go back. Um, don't don't make politics the be all end all mm -hmm. of everything. Even though there are, of course, major issues that are important and that and opinions that are deeply held. But there's something troubling um, about the fact that every election that I've been through in my lifetime has been the most important election <laughs> of my lifetime. How can that, how can that be? Because we're ratcheting everything up um, into the, you know, a, a make or break moment there instead of scaling things back. We are giving so much credence to political um, solutions there mm. that when the wrong side has political power, it's, it's cataclysmic there. Well, it's a, I think it, it definitely, that, that rhetoric comes out. I'm sure we're only, we're bracing for, for more of it coming up with midterm elections later sure. this year. And, and uh, I'm, the people have been planning for the 2024 presidential run as uh, for about at least two and a half years now, it seems to me. Um, I think it's really interesting that this brings out uh, the the progress is a concept that definitely brings out people's ultimate convictions, and and we see that in in a in in real time in a way and like what people value in terms of what they where they put or wh where they kind of place meaning in the idea of progress, and yet at the same time it's such an amorphous term. Uh, I want to go back to your uh, hypothetical polling. Uh, if if someone is thinking of designing a poll, I'll add my my wish wish to the list. Uh, I would love for uh, someone who is really good at crafting um, 
uh, qualitative questions on a poll uh, to uh, figure out how exactly to determine if people view progress as purely material or if there's a sort of way to have a more complex understanding of progress. Progress in terms of moral questions, political questions, uh, social questions, even in terms of like friendships. <laughs> Uh, are, are we progressing in the number of good quality relationships we have that are conducive towards happiness? Uh, those are questions I would find that data really interesting. Because it, it seems to me that most of the people I've heard who talk about progress tend to sort of collapse progress down to just the material and just the economic. And in that sense, it's very easy to see, well, obviously, there has been material progress and technological progress over the last five centuries. Uh, but there occasionally are moments that make push make me kind of think uh, a little bit more deeply about it. Uh, I recently read uh, Matt Walsh's new book, uh, What is a Woman? It was a fascinating read. Uh, and in that he closes that book uh, with attempting to describe contemporary gender theory to Maasai warriors who live a very traditional lifestyle. And he kind of ends it. He's, he's and he's of course, it's it's Matt Walsh who is. Uh, he's kind of brash. He's he's not shy at all about just calling it like he thinks it is. But his goal in closing it there is to really highlight the West has grown in so many material ways. And yet here are a group of people who are don't have that material wealth. They don't have the educational opportunities. And yet they by if you ask them and he did, they they say that they are very happy with their lives and they like the way they live. And they don't understand any of these complexities that we get uh, in a snit over about who's a man, who's a woman, and and can there be pregnant people? Does that sentence even make sense? Uh, it, it was a very funny, very funny section of the book. But it seemed to me to encapsulate some of the difficulties with this idea of progress, where we could say, oh, look at all this great progress. And yet there seems to be a cost. And it's really easy to somehow ignore that cost. Uh, so those are those are at least my thoughts uh, uh, in response to uh, your hypothetical uh, polling data. Any any other thoughts on that? On oh, that yeah. That? yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. So um, definitely there, and that is uh, a common refrain of some of the the people um, mentioned in my book, um, beginning beginning with uh, Schopenhauer in, in that that first chapter there, who notes that advances in, in technology, for instance, which are readily apparent, don't necessarily correspond with any advances in terms of overall level of happiness there. Mm. Um, you see development over over time, fine, there, there, there is, um, um, you know, material ad advancement, and there is, um, you know, technological improvement, but what in the past would have been seen as a luxury simply becomes a necessity. Mm -hmm. And there's still that feeling of lack or want um, that can't be satiated there. So more and more advancement in terms of technology and in terms of material goods, to what to what end would be the, the question there? When is the satisfaction ever going to achieve? It seems like it's always being pushed off to, uh, this generation has, has improved materially, so the next one will, you know, be the one that's that's happier. Well, that's that's we we often find that that's not the case. Um, really, things are improving. People are getting more stuff. People have their iPhones there, or whatever there, their their entertainments. Um, but it is the the net gain in, in happiness um, increasing as technology mm -hmm. increases, not necessarily so. Um, and does technological progress always solve problems? No, sometimes it introduces new ones um, for us. So, you know, um, there, you know, planes make travel easier, and they also make bombing uh, entire cities yep. easier. Um, 
things like that and so you know these these are not just negative naysayers who who look on the dark side of of life i think they have real and, and legitimate criticisms of whether um material improvements are the be all end all of of everything there um and so the the society you're describing as a, as a happy one that has a traditional lifestyle um keeps doing things in in a certain way um and isn't associated with with you know certain western views and is just totally unaware of those things um that reminds me of you know one of the other criticisms of uh, of progress of the idea of progress that that comes from comes in in my book. Uh, Leo Tolstoy is one of those critics whom I look at, and part of Tolstoy's argument against the idea of progress is that it's going to be abused um, by governments and particularly European um, governments who are going to see their vision of improvement as universal and try to impart it impose it on other people who don't share in it um, and they're going to claim that it's for the these other groups um, benefit or well-being that european ways are, are being introduced because it's going to help those people um, pr- progress there so tolstoy ties ties the idea of progress to colonialism for instance well, i mean that that was the argument for besides the whole saddam hussein might have been tied to 9-11 which he wasn't i mean that was that was a major argument about operation iraqi freedom sure. we're going to go in and we're going to establish democracy in the middle right. east and it's going to be great for these people right. and and i I mean, and in one sense, it, it is. I mean, I, I still think the American presence in, in Iraq is a better thing than the alternative. But goodness gracious, that is still imposing. It's still using power to impose one vision of the world over another group of people. Right. Right. So, crazy. Um, well, Matt, before we uh, wrap up our, our, our conversation today, um, I wonder if you could bring us into the present. Um, are there critics of progress working today? Is this still an active question that people are exploring? I don't know if you're also uh, developing your own critique of progress or, or just kind of looking at other people's critiques. Uh, but but is there are is that an active question of study today? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it, it is um, still uh, an active question here. And I think others um, have similar if not the same starting point as i do where there there's a recognition that people not just in the united states but around the world on these right track wrong track polls see the present in particularly bleak terms and and are you know fearful uh, of the the future instead of looking forward to it so i i think there there are a number of of authors who who are um, keen to to investigate um, the idea of, of progress and, and wrestle with it there. Um, and those people willing to interrogate um, the idea of, of progress kind of span the political spectrum there. So some of the um, loudest um, denouncers of the idea of, of progress come from um, the environmentalist left, for, for instance, there. Um, and they have a particular con- concern that progress is defined chiefly in material consumerist hmm. terms there. And what has that meant? It has meant, you know, the, the growth of industry and the growth of, um, you know, waste on, you know, plastics and disposable things there, which is having, you know, a ruinous effect on the the environment. Um, so these, this group of people um, wants to state, you know, say, um, may, maybe the idea of, of progress isn't a good thing if it's going to lead to, um, you know, the, the waste of, of resources and, and the ravaging of the earth there. So you've got that camp of, of people um, who 
are are investigating the, this question of of progress here, and then you have people who are maybe closer to you know you know offering a, a critique like Tolstoy's, um, where they they want to ask is is the idea of progress um, something that is uni universally felt? Um, no, there are you know different um, beliefs in different parts of the world. So why should the rest of the world have to um, conform to Western standards there? So you've got a critique of, of the idea of progress that is a critique of um, Westernization or imperialism, that sort of thing there. So that that's that's a camp, uh, and then you do have um, critics of, of the idea of progress of um, maybe a more conservative bent who um, who um, you know in in William F. Buckley's terms, you know. You know, want to want to yell stop at the at the um, march of of history there. Um, so yeah, there there are definitely people who are investigating um, and exploring the 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 idea of, of progress and and are willing to critique it. Whether I'm going to offer a theory of of my own, uh, you know, no, um, it's not part of my my agenda there. I'm, I'm more intellectual history as opposed to normative theorizing there. So you're not going to see uh, a novel um, theory from from me come, coming out in, anytime soon. I'm, I'm happier to um, explore and, you know, analyze and, and explain other people's um, critiques and, and see what they mean and, and um, hopefully shed, shed light on, on those. But yeah, I, I think this debate is is definitely not not dead or settled uh, at, at all. Excellent. Uh, well, uh, Matt, I think you've done a great job today, uh, clarifying and explaining these different views and the critiques of them, and uh, and helping our listeners to uh, really understand the, this ongoing debate. Which is, I always find it helpful to know that the things that we see in the world today are not original; they're not really new. Uh, but there, there may be the latest chapter in a really long essay that is uh, being written across several centuries. Uh, where can people find and follow your work online if they want to uh, uh, be sure to know about your next book or uh, order your current book or uh, essays you might write, things of that nature? Sure. Um, if people are on Goodreads, I'm on Goodreads. You can find me on Goodreads. Uh, if you're if you're on the the Twitter.com, I'm I'm there uh so you can can find me on on twitter uh, if for some reason you wanted to connect on linkedin you could um i i i, I use linkedin pretty much as as an alternative facebook i don't i don't do a lot of business posting on there i just make fun of linkedin on, on linkedin um but happy to connect with anyone there um those who use academia.edu can follow me on that or ResearchGate. I, I use that. Um, so happy to follow back, of course, anyone who does follow me on, on any of these uh, various social media uh, platforms. So. Excellent. Uh, well, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today for uh, this conversation. It's been great. Yeah. Th thanks a lot, Josh. It was, it was good to talk to you uh, again. And, I, I, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it, I, I say I say thank you to to Zoom for erasing our, our earlier dis discussion because I, I think this one you know it gave gave us a chance to get together again and I, I think it was fun. So I agree, hundred percent. Well, thank you, listeners, for joining us today for this episode of the Optimistic Curmudgeon. My guest this episode has been Dr. Matt Slaybach, visiting professor. I'm sorry, let me get the right title because we updated that <laughs> after I wrote my my sheet. Uh, let's see, let me start that conclusion over again. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today for another episode of The Optimistic Curmudgeon. My guest this episode has been Dr. Matt Slaybach. He is the assistant professor uh, in the School of Civic and Economic Thought and Leadership at Arizona State University he, and the author of The Road to Nowhere, The Idea of Progress and its Critics. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Until next time, seek the good, discover the true, and love the beautiful. You've been listening to another episode of The Optimistic Curmudgeon, where the best ideas win. I'm your host, Josh Herring. The Optimistic Curmudgeon is a project of Thales Press. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star review and share it with your friends. 
You can find us on three major social media platforms. Search for The Optimistic Curmudgeon on Facebook and LinkedIn, and find us on Twitter at the handle at TheOptimisticC3. This episode was edited and produced by Madison Kay, audio engineer for The Optimistic Curmudgeon. Until next time, seek the good, pursue the true, and love the beautiful.